This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 26, Are There Errors in Scripture? Given where we are now in our process of apologetics, we can take it as established that the Church has always considered the Scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. That is, the Scriptures have the Holy Spirit as their primary author. Of course, there are many human authors, but the Holy Spirit is the principal author that used the human authors as instruments, as rational, free instruments that wrote freely as humans, but under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So a preliminary and simple answer to the question of this episode as to whether or not there are errors in Scripture, if we hold that Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, then the obvious answer is no, there are not errors in Scripture, because that would be attributing errors to God, which is absurd. However, the question remains, why is there so much controversy about this question? Well, it's because there are things in Scripture that we might look at and say, well, given our understanding of the world now, this doesn't seem right. Or, hey, there's sin in Scripture, there's, there are evil people in Scripture, there are evil events in Scripture. So how do we square this with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? And how do we still hold that Scripture is inerrant, without error, when all of these things are present? Well, along with inspiration, we also need to bring back in a second element that we talked about in the episode, How Do I Read Scripture? And that is understanding both the, the genre of literature each book is. And remember, the Bible, yes, is one book because it's it has one author, the Holy Spirit. But it's also a collection of books written by various human authors and with various styles and literary genres. So we need to remember that element too. How do I read the Bible? Well, the first thing I need to do is understand the, the human author's intent and the kind of thing that I'm reading. Remember that I'm not going to read or interpret the Psalms the same way I am the Gospels. I'm not going to read Leviticus the same way I'm going to read the book of Revelation and so on. So with those two things in mind, the inspiration of scripture and the necessity and importance of reading each book of scripture in the appropriate way, then we resolve the problems. But of course, we're going to need to show that. So let's first look at the teaching of the church, the various things the church has said over her history. But first, let's look at scripture itself. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, a well-known line from St. Paul, quote, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So scripture, of course, testifies that in its entirety, scripture is inspired. There is no exception made there. St. Paul says all scripture is inspired by God. And we'll see this is one of the principal reasons the church teaches what she does. So let's look at uh, Pope Leo XIII wrote an encyclical called Providentissimus Deus, Most Provident God. And it says, quote, for all the books which the church receives as sacred and canonical are written wholly and entirely with all their parts at the dictation of the Holy Ghost. And so far is it from being possible that any error can coexist with inspiration, that inspiration not only is essentially incompatible with error, but excludes and rejects it as absolutely and necessarily as it is impossible that God himself, the supreme truth, can utter that which is not true. This is the ancient and unchanging faith of the church. It follows that those who maintain that an error is possible in any genuine passage of the sacred writings either pervert the Catholic notion of inspiration or make God the author of such error." Quote. 
So very strong terms there. Every single part is written without error at the dictation of the Holy Ghost. And don't let that dictation term trouble us because the idea is not that the Holy Spirit used the authors, the human authors, as like zombies or puppets. They were free and willing instruments that wrote as they willed, but under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So God is incompatible with falsehood. Therefore, scripture cannot contain error in a properly understood text. Pope St. Pius X uh, condemned the idea that there could be any error in scripture. He condemns the following statement that divine inspiration does not extend to all of sacred scriptures so that it renders its parts, each and every one, free from every error. He condemns the claim that divine inspiration does not extend to all of sacred scripture and the claim that not all of its parts, each and every one, is free from error. Pope Pius XII wrote an encyclical, Divino Aflante Spiritu, and he said, quote, For as the substantial word of God became like to men in all things except sin, so the words of God expressed in human language are made like to human speech in every respect except error, end quote. So it's actually a beautiful analogy here. Uh, we talked about how the church is like Christ, that there's a human element and a divine element. And Pius XII here makes another analogy with scripture being like Christ, that there is the human and the divine element, but just like Christ is free from sin, so is scripture free from error. Second Vatican Council, more recently, in its document called Dei Verbum, which is on scripture, the word of God, it says, quote, God worked through human writers who consigned to writing whatever he wanted written and no more. Again, emphasizing the fact that everything in scripture is inspired and there's no exceptions made there. Dei Verbum continues, Since therefore all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge that the books of scripture, firmly, faithfully, and without error, teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures." End quote. So this is a key part here where it says, all that the inspired authors or sacred writers affirm should be regarded as affirmed by the Holy Spirit. That's the key in understanding this question. It's not a question of, I just look at words and then if I see words that seem to express something false, then scripture contains error. No, I need to look at what is affirmed by scripture because you can take something out of context where someone says something false that doesn't necessarily mean that it's affirmed by the author of sacred scripture. For example, I could write a story where a character says God isn't real. If you take that God isn't real and they say, oh, he, he doesn't think God's real. No, it's what someone says in the narrative. So you need to look at what is affirmed and intended by the human author in order to understand what is affirmed by the Holy Spirit. And people might object, oh, that's just a cop-out to get around false statements in scripture. But it's really not. This is something that we expect in various elements of our everyday lives. Right? We, we don't like to be taken out of context. You know, look at political arguments or ads or whatever. If someone is taken out of context, obviously contrary to what the speaker intended and willed to say, we consider that a, a bad faith move. So we're just applying to scripture the common sense principles that we apply elsewhere. So to use an example I used in the episode, How Do We Read Scripture? In the Song of Songs, you have your teeth are like a flock of goats. Obviously, the writer is not intending a literal description. Another example would be in Malachi, from the rising of the sun to its setting. This is obviously not intended to be an astronomical scientific observation. It's just a colloquial way of saying from the beginning of the day to the end of the day, we still speak this way now, even though we know very well that we live in a heliocentric solar system. So someone taking Malachi and saying, oh, there's error in scripture. They believe that, that the universe was geocentric. No, that doesn't follow at all, any more than it follows from your local weatherman talking about sunrise and sunset. So those are just a couple examples to get the point across that 
in order to understand what scripture is affirming, what the human authors are affirming, and therefore what the Holy Spirit is affirming, we need to first understand that literal sense. That's only understood if we understand what kind of writing it is and what the sacred author is intending to convey by his words. So going back to that quote from Dei Verbum, Second Vatican Council, there's a very important clause in there. We must acknowledge that the books of scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach, and this is the important clause, that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, wishes to see confided to the sacred scriptures. That, for the sake of our salvation, is kind of the, the crux of the controversy here that we have nowadays. And that's the controversy of limited inerrancy versus unlimited inerrancy, or restricted inerrancy versus unrestricted inerrancy, meaning the same thing. Basically that the scripture is inerrant, but only in the parts that pertain to our salvation versus Scripture is inerrant in all of its parts. Those are the two competing ideas we have nowadays in Scripture scholarship. So it's a matter of whether or not you take that clause for the sake of our salvation to be modifying God confiding the Scripture, his words, or whether you see for the sake of our salvation as a qualifier for those things which are taught without error. I didn't put that very well, but basically you would read it the one way as we must acknowledge that the books of scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach the truth which God wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures for the sake of our salvation. Or, we must acknowledge that the books of scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach only those truths which God, for the sake of our salvation, wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures. That's kind of how you'd understand the two opposing views. One is saying, he confided certain things to sacred scriptures, and only those things that he confided for the sake of our salvation are inerrant. The other viewpoint is, everything that God confided to scripture, he confided for the sake of our salvation, therefore it's inerrant. So I know I tried to explain the same thing three different times, but hopefully the controversy is clear now, the two sides are clear. One says that there are only certain things that are inerrant, the other says everything in scripture is inerrant because God intended all of it, all of its parts, as his word and therefore is inerrant. So how do we decide between those two? The limited inerrancy viewpoint tends to misunderstand our main rule that we need to understand what the human author is trying to affirm or trying to convey. So we need to, in order to get at that literal sense, what the human author is intending, we need to interpret the text by the literary tools that are used in interpreting any text, taking into account the author's time and intention and the literary genre and the historical context. Pope Leo in that same document, Providentissimus Deus says, Quote, the sacred authors did not seek to penetrate the secrets of nature, but rather described and dealt with things in more or less figurative language, or in terms which were commonly used at the time. Ordinary speech primarily and properly describes what comes under the senses, and somewhat in the same way the sacred writers went by what sensibly appeared. End quote. So this is to answer those who say that the Bible contains things that we don't hold because we've found that they're not true or whatever. Uh, that's fine. For example, in the book of Genesis, it's not intended to be a literal description of the creation of the world in all of its parts. Right? There are certain literal truths there, but there are also figurative truths in line with similar writings of the time. So it can't be emphasized enough that in order to untie the various knots of apparent problems or apparent contradictions or non-scientific things in scripture, one really needs to do the work of trying to understand what is actually intended. 
and not just taking a verse out of context. Remember in the episode, How Do I Read Sacred Scripture, once again, that things need to be read in the unity of Scripture, not out of context. They need to be read in the context of a particular passage, in the context of that book, in the context of the writer's intention and historical context, and in the context of the entirety of Scripture. One cannot lazily peruse Scripture and try and find some statement that seems to conflict with our modern understanding of the world and say, ah, look, Scripture contains error. That's not how it works. That's not how you deal with any other document. So if those are the two sides, limited inerrancy versus unlimited inerrancy, the question we have to ask ourselves is, given the importance of the tradition of the church, the continuity of belief of the church, which one of those is most in line with the consistent teaching of the church over the years? Now, beginning with scripture itself in 2 Timothy, as we read at the beginning of this episode, along with all those other statements, especially that of Leo XIII, which says that the unlimited inerrancy is the ancient apostolic tradition of the church, ancient and constant faith of the church, then it's clear that of the two interpretations, the unlimited or unrestricted inerrancy is more in keeping with tradition and the teaching of the church. And if we were to interpret that controversial quotation from Dei Verbum as teaching that God only intended certain things to be put down in scripture for the sake of our salvation, and therefore there's other parts of scripture that do have error, then we would be seeing an entirely new teaching in church history, which seems incompatible with Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth. God cannot contradict himself and guide his church for 1,960 years of her history to teach one thing and then from then on teach something that contradicts the previous teaching. So following what Pope Benedict calls the hermeneutic of continuity, that is reading things in the context of the church's tradition rather than seeing the tradition of the church or the teaching of the church as something that can evolve into something different over time, we have to say that the church's constant teaching and of course current teaching is that scripture has no error because it has God as its author. And while in this short episode we can't resolve or even presume to begin to resolve the various questions about different verses and how they should be read in order to preserve inerrancy, should all take comfort in the fact that throughout the history of the church, the great fathers and doctors and saints and theologians have all treated any possible objection to certain apparent contradictions or apparent falsehoods or whatever in scripture. And one can usually easily find a satisfactory answer in the writings of the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, saints and theologians and scripture scholars in her long history. So I guess the takeaway is always have humility when reading scripture. Understanding that the church has always held these texts sacred, has not been troubled by things that appear to be contradictory, and Christians always ought to have the humility to say, my limited perspective ought to defer to the collective wisdom of the church on these matters, and that what we are reading is the product of divine inspiration. And so, of course, in many areas, it will transcend our ability to comprehend properly, and that the more we read scripture, the more we can penetrate into the profound depth of meaning that there is in all of scripture and in all of its parts. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your friends and family. Help spread the word. Also, please consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief to have access to an extra episode as well as a lot of other content every week. And please give us a five-star rating and a good review. God bless.